Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. serve a God who is worthy of all the glory and honor and blessing and power forever and ever. Amen. You are invited to stand with us as you are able. Good morning for anybody joining us online. Happy Easter. We're starting on a reverent note this morning as we simply acknowledge the gift that he gave and bless our risen Savior. So we invite you to join us as we simply crown him with praise and honor together this morning.
out a hand this morning. Amen. tracking last week we talked a little bit about what it took to get into the presence of God in the Old Testament how it took a high priest to take the blood into the Holy of Holies in our stead right but we no longer need that high priest we no longer need that blood because when Jesus rose from the dead I can talk when Jesus rose from the dead that curtain that veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn in two amen it was torn in two. We don't need a high priest to carry blood into that Holy of Holies any longer. Just like in the Old Testament, God freed the Israelites. He had them built a tabernacle so he might dwell among them, so he might have relationship with them. He wanted to be close to them. And the good news is, church, God still wants to free us. He still wants to dwell among us. He still wants to have relationship with us. He tore the veil so that we no longer need a high priest to go intercede on our behalf. He is our high priest and we get to go directly into his presence boldly before his throne of grace. That's what we're celebrating this morning. He now dwells within us. Holy Father, right now we just want to acknowledge your presence. We want to welcome you into this place as we celebrate you. We ask that your manifest presence be with us this morning. Might we even taste a small glimpse, just a sliver of your glory and your beauty this morning, God, as we celebrate you and what you did. Closer still, closer still, Jesus, you 
Making this place a 
Savior. This morning we do join our voices, we join our spirits and proclaim you as holy. We bless you and proclaim you as worthy over all, God. We hope that you have taken this music, you have taken this praise, that you mold it, shape it into something that is beautiful and pleasing to you. Receive it as a beautiful, sweet incense this morning as we celebrate you as the risen Savior and the King over all. All God's children this morning join me in saying, Amen. You may be seated. Look at someone next to you and say, He is risen. celebration. Um, we were once dead in our sins, and yet Jesus came and died in our place. For me, Easter reminds me of celebratory and triumphant music. It reminds me of victory over Satan and sin and anything this world has to offer, and it gives me confidence in our eternity in heaven. On Easter morning, we would sing, Up from the Grave He Arose, and when the men's bass voices, you know, rang out on the chorus, it kind of felt like it shook the, the room, and it reminded me of when Jesus's stone was rolled away from the grave. On Easter, we get to celebrate the fact that he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave and defeated sin and death, which is such a great cause for celebration. We did a um, Bible scene that the kids got to walk through and hear the story of Jesus and um, the Last Supper, all the way to the crucifixion, to the resurrection, and that was just really cool to make that come alive for them. Easter means to me the day that God rose from the dead. It kind of made it come alive for me too, so yeah, really cool. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, that is my love of Easter. I love the new things, the new blossoms on the trees. I get candy, I get to spend time with family, and the raisin. Jesus? The new bunnies, the new little chicks, the new birdies. I just, I love it all. And that's pretty good. My favorite thing about Easter was always making the little uh, Bible scenes with the eggs in the shoe boxes. That was always really fun. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. My favorite Easter memories, uh, always when I was a little kid, as a family, we'd get up really early, 5 o'clock in the morning for sunrise service. 40,000 people would get together and worship Christ, and we'd hear for King and Country and other popular people, and it was just a blast to be with family and friends worshiping Jesus. Without Easter, we wouldn't have eternal life in Jesus. To me, Easter means, it reminds me of Jesus making the ultimate sacrifice so we could live happy lives. Easter is the pinnacle of celebration for us in our faith. And it's when the works of salvation were perfected. And that's what truly makes our joy complete in Jesus. Some of my favorite Easter memories have just been celebrating Easter with our family here at Northview, getting to celebrate Good Friday all together. It's, well, it's one way to celebrate Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Easter's definitely foundational. Uh, without Easter, there isn't a whole lot to base our faith on without the resurrection of Christ. And it's a great time for sharing because not everybody out there is aware of the true meaning of Easter. My favorite thing about Easter is that it brings all of our friends and family together to celebrate. 
it's, it's a time of forgiveness and newness and a time of hope. And it's the essence of faith. It's just great to be able to say to people, He, he is, is risen. risen! Hallelujah! Christ arose. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. me so much joy. He is risen. He is risen! He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. He is risen! He is risen indeed. Easter means eggs. Easter means chocolate. Ham. Okay. Dear. Easter egg hunts. <laughs> I guess into a joke one. <laughs>
a fully trained Roman guard, which in that day was the elite fighting force of the day, break the Roman seal, toss the two-ton-plus gravestone away from the grave like it was a piece of cardboard, and then steal away without anybody knowing or seeing them is beyond credibility. The counter to that would be, well, of course, the disciples didn't do that. The Romans took the body themselves and put it somewhere to protect from that possibility of happening. That doesn't make any sense either. If they, the Romans, had the body, then all they had to do was bring it out, hang it in public where everyone could see, and just say, there's your Messiah. Why no body? The answer is very simple. They didn't have one. How about the Jewish leaders? It was also in their absolute best interest to produce a body as well. After all, they were the most vociferous in proclaiming that he, Jesus, wasn't worthy. We went through that on Good Friday. Joseph of Arimathea, who was one of them, it was his tomb that Jesus was buried in, uh, to suggest that they went to the wrong tomb overlooks several facts. Number one, the Pharisees asked the Romans to guard the wrong tomb. So when the Pharisees went to Pilate and said, we need a guard, uh, here's the tomb we want guarded, they actually had the wrong tomb. The Romans actually sealed and guarded the wrong tomb. The women went to the wrong tomb. And then everybody, including half of Jerusalem, went to the wrong tomb to look for a body that wasn't there. Certainly, they would have been able to double-check with Joseph of Arimathea that this was his tomb, and they would have been able to produce a body. It was in the Jewish leader's absolute best interest to produce a body and quell the rumors the instant they began. By the way, just to go down a little rabbit trail, uh, we actually sang about it this morning, but it's a, it's a significant detail. Um, they had more than a problem of just producing a body. The gospel accounts very clearly indicate that at the moment Jesus gave up his spirit, an earthquake occurred, and the temple curtain, which separated the holy place or the holy court from the holy of holies, uh, as we, Esther pointed out, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, was torn in two. That curtain was said that it was woven so sturdily that two teams of horses pulling from each side could not tear that curtain asunder. Jesus was crucified on Passover. There would have been thousands upon thousands of people from all over the known world in the temple courts that afternoon. All of them would have been witnesses to the shredding of the temple curtain. No earthquake could have worked for an explanation. Obviously, something extremely rare had happened. It had never happened before in all of Israel's history. How were they going to explain this? Certainly, this was a sign or a portent of the hand of God. It would not have taken much to connect the timing of the tearing of the curtain to the death of Jesus. Needless to say, the Pharisees had their hands full. But back to the point. When the disciples did emerge, they emerged in a most unlikely place. Not where you'd think they'd show up. They showed up in the temple of all places. The very same temple with the torn curtain. All the Romans and Pharisees had to do was take Jesus' body, throw it down on the ground, end of story, end of discussion, end of movement. But that didn't happen. Why? Because there was no body to be thrown down. Despite the best efforts of the Roman military and the Jewish leaders, which, by the way, were considerable, there was simply no body that could be produced. A third point would be this. 
Not only did they not have a body that they could produce, but they, uh, but how were they to account for the change in this small group known as the disciples? As we said, they showed up in the likely, unlikeliest of places, the temple. It's not where you thought, front and center. The most public place in all of Israel and all of Jerusalem. How does a group of men who fled the scene at Jesus' arrest, who abandoned him at his trial on the cross, and who we find are locked in a room together out of mortal fear that they are next, and it will be only moments before they are hung on a cross as well, turn into a bold and proclamation-driven group. The claims that claims eyewitness accounts of having seen the crucified Jesus alive from the dead and to have had actual conversations with him. Not only have they become fearless, but they radiate an unbelievable amount of joy. Well, you could say people have joy all the time. Well, that's true. But not when your leader has just been butchered and massacred in front of you. The fourth point would be, how do you explain the death of the apostles? All of them except John, who they did, by the way, try to boil in oil, which didn't work, which would that have been fascinating to watch, right? How in the world did that happen? That would be incredible. But all of them died a martyr's death. And what did they die for? Proclaiming and refusing to renounce that they had seen and trusted the resurrected and, and risen Christ. Look at the track record uh, here on the chart. There's, Margaret put this together and kind of collated how different ones, uh, history records have how they died a martyr's death. And you can see how they're uh, lumped together. The only one who didn't, uh, who actually died a natural death was John. As I mentioned, they tried to boil him in oil. That freaked him out because it didn't work. So then they stuck him on a rocky island out in the Mediterranean, hoping he would just go away and they wouldn't have to worry about him again. And out there he ran, uh, wrote a little book called Revelation. But the rest of them died martyrs' deaths. Is it reasonable? Look at that list. Is it reasonable to believe that all 12 men who were separated by time and distance, remember, they didn't have smartphones, they didn't have computers, they didn't have telegrams, they didn't have any of that stuff. So they, if they knew it was a fraud, they could have easily coughed up and nobody would have known. Is it reasonable to believe that all 12 men who were separated by time and distance were all willing to die for a lie, for something that they knew was deliberately false? for something they knew they had concocted together. Lastly, how do we explain the change in people, such as Paul of Tarsus, a bold, vicious, aggressive opponent of all things Jesus, becomes a huge hero and champion of the Christian cause. He not only becomes its main missionary, but also its main apologist. How does one explain this huge 180 flip apart from the resurrection of Jesus? Paul also died a martyr's death for proclaiming that he had personally met the resurrected Jesus personally. What we are saying this morning is really only the beginning of the evidence for why it is credible and why it is reasonable to believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to take this further, here are some recommended reads. Um, you can see some of the books up there. Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, uh, particularly one book that made a huge difference in my life. More Than a Carpenter, also by Josh McDowell. Cold Case Christianity, J. Warner Wallace. Uh, Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Who Moved the Stone by Frank Morrison. And this is just the beginning. Uh, there's many more. But if you've never looked at it, if you're online, sitting there today going, I, I never knew any of this stuff, 
here's a place where you could start and pick up many more details than what I have laid down today. So what we're seeing is despite all the negative press uh, that comes his way today, that Jesus is taking on, there are incredibly significant arguments that validate the worthiness of his sacrifice on the cross. And there are incredibly significant arguments that support the validity of his resurrection. And these become absolute anchor points for our hopes in salvation for him. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, isn't just a date on the calendar where we sing a lot of hype music and we get jazzed up. And it's not the only day he's risen. He's risen all of the days of the year. But it's the anchor point. It's the place where it happened. It's the place where we rehearse what took place, what God did, because it's the foundation stone of our faith. What is this hope? What is this gospel? Let's go through it again really quickly. John 3.16 says what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That that life was anchored in the son. Jesus himself said it this way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 3.23 says, Why do we need a Savior? And it tells us because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You may be good. You may be better than the person sitting next to you this morning. You may be better than your brothers or sisters. You may be better in the neighborhood. But you do not match when it comes to an all-holy God. And when you match and stack up against them, your sins become enormous. And then Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, Jesus offers us something that we otherwise could not have. Romans says this, Romans 10, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming here this morning. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I just want to say, if anybody's out here this morning, if anybody's out watching this morning, you've come, you've come, uh, friends told you about it, you've shown up on our, our website, and you're watching here on YouTube or whatever, and you're out there uh, watching, and you realize today that it's not just a story. That really happened. It's actually really true. That this is actual history, grounded in facts. And that you've not surrendered and asked Jesus into your heart to save you. You're sitting there, you can see it, but you haven't crossed that line. Then my question to you this morning is, why not? Why not? What better day to become saved than on Resurrection Sunday? Think about it. Won't have to remember the anniversary date, right? Pretty simple. If you're thinking about that, here's how you could do it. Let me suggest, if you just join me in prayer right now, right? Let me, let me lead you in a way that you could say this. Lord Jesus, it clicked this morning. 
it finally made sense. I get it. And I realize I'm outside of your saving grace. It's not just a story. It's a real historical event. You really did that. And for me. Lord Jesus, I need your salvation and your saving grace to release me from the burden of my sin and the consequences of my choices. I yield to your resurrection power and ask you to come into my life and save me from my sins. I wish to follow you and honor you the rest of my life. Thank you for your generous kindness. If you've done that, you've just made a very significant transition. You went from this to this. Notice they, use, they both use the same three words. But the order makes all the difference. You become part of the host of witnesses. By the way, we want you to tell somebody. Uh, if, if you have prayed that prayer this morning, this is our website. We have a spot that is uh, nview.org connect. And you can go on there and you can talk and um, let us know if you prayed that prayer and we'd be glad to dialogue with you. We'd be glad to have a conversation or answer any questions that you have uh, or you were thinking about it and you just needed some assurance. We'd be glad to uh, follow, it, follow up with that. You can also do the old-fashioned way. You can call us on the phone, right? You can text us. You can walk in the front door. Any of those work. So let us know. We'd love to dialogue. Many think he's, wor he's worthy. Despite all you hear today, despite all the negative against Jesus and why he isn't who he claimed to be and all the talk that sits in our culture, there are witnesses upon witnesses of witnesses who have claimed to know him, many of us sitting here in this room. John the Baptist certainly thought he was worthy. John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Uh, if you check Mark 1.7, Luke 3.16, and John 1.27, they're up there for you. Uh, this statement of worthiness is found in all four Gospels, which means it's very solid that John actually said that. The statement, uh, Peter certainly thought Jesus was worthy. Jesus said to the 12 after he had said some difficult things, do you want to go away as well? Because many people were saying, wow, what do we do with this? Can't hang with this anymore. And Simon Peter had answered him, Lord, who, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That was Peter's confession. The writer of Hebrews certainly thought so. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much as more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. If you're comparing how great Moses was when you want to stack it up, how great is he to Jesus? Moses was in the house, Jesus built the house. Right? That's what Hebrews is saying. And then Hebrews says, And Jesus has become our high priest by the power of an indestructible life. Heaven certainly thinks so. John wrote this, Then I saw at the right hand of him who was seated on a throne a scroll written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. This is a picture of the Grand Canyon. I imagine a number of you have been there. There's a lot of different vantage points. But uh, just some simple facts about the Grand Canyon. It's 18 miles across at its widest point, but it is an average of 10 miles across any particular spot you choose. So just, we'll choose the lowest number, 10 miles. It's over a mile deep at its deepest spot, which means it's a long way down there. And if you've ever been there and stood on the rim and looked down, it's like disorienting. It's that deep. Oh, and by the way, the north rim is a thousand feet higher than the south rim. So if you were going to get saved on your own merits, if you were going to... Uh, what John was trying to picture here is there was no one to open the scroll. It means no access. There isn't anybody who had the right to open that scroll. It wasn't going to work. There was no way to get there. And when John realized that, he burst into tears and was weeping because he realized there's no way across. If someone tells you you can be saved on your own power, the question would be, can you jump across the Grand Canyon? This, what John's seeing, isn't just the Grand Canyon. It's infinite separation. No open scroll, no entrance or access. What's the significance of Jesus he answers that for us in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That's how significant his death on the cross was and what he took care of transactionally, judiciously on the cross. And then all in heaven call out and proclaim the worthiness of this person. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, and you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And that is our message today, is that God is still looking for people. There's people out there that don't know him yet that need to know him. He's still looking for those who will seek him. He's still looking for those who will honor him. Is he worthy? Our answer is absolutely yes. That's why we gather. If you're asking, what does our church have to give? Our answer is the only thing our church has to give is Jesus. If you're looking for anything else, we really don't have it. If you ask, why is he the only thing? Our response is because he's worthy of being the only thing. He is worthy of our highest honor and adulation that we can give him. He is worthy of our highest loyalty. He is worthy of our undying devotion. He is worthy of our deepest surrender and submission. Let's worship him with joy and honor this morning and praise his holy name. Stand with us as you're able. Do you feel the world? 
Praise the Lord. Okay, now the task. This is like a wedding. Okay? We did the act well. Now comes the process the rest of the year. Let's lean into that with that kind of hope and that kind of faith and that kind of resurrection power. All God's people said, amen. amen. All right, thank you for coming online. Thanks for being with us. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. Remember, Baptism Sunday, don't miss it.